honor to welcome uh, Commissioner Purse, the Commissioner at the SEC. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Commissioner Purse. Jack, thanks for the chance to be here. And I want to start with my disclaimer, which is that my views are my own views as a commissioner, not necessarily those of the SEC or my fellow commissioners. First off, I just want to explain for the audience uh, that the, you are at the, at the center of so much that is going on uh, in, in regulation for all financial assets, uh, not just crypto. So I'm really glad to, to uh, get, get, get you here, you know, one, one of five commissioners on uh, the SEC. So I, there's a, um, in the Financial Times, an editorial that just gave somewhat of a rough summary of the SEC. And I want to see if you kind of agree with it. But, um, this is what the FT said. Uh, there's a little quick question that Gary Gensler, uh, chair of the SEC, has unleashed the, the most interventionist regulatory agenda the U.S. financial sector has seen since right after the global financial crisis. Obviously, that there's some rhetoric in that, but roughly in terms of reporting the facts, would you agree with that? I do think that it is a very active time at the SEC. Um, the number of rulemakings and the number of really big rulemakings that are going on is quite astounding. And it's it's if they're all adopted, will will change pretty fundamentally the way our markets work. So it's it's an active time. Um, there's a lot a lot to learn about um, and a lot to work on. Stepping out from any particular cases, in terms of the law and in terms of setting what is right, how would you characterize the you know, current uh, SEC's posture towards crypto and what, do you, what are your personal, as you say, views on it? Mm -hmm. We're doing a lot in enforcement with respect to crypto and less on the regulatory side. There are problems in both of those arenas. Um, I think that we would be better off, certainly if I could turn the clock back, to provide some guidance earlier in, in the, you know, certainly in my tenure, I've been at the SEC since 2018, there were opportunities for us to weigh in and provide some guidance, which would have helped to shape some of this in the first place. But we are where we are with respect to that. I think there's still areas where we could be helpful in helping people think through what would registration actually look like if, if some of these entities or projects had to register. Um, where are the pain points, talking with people and understanding where the pain points are, having a conversation that's not only with individual industry players, but a more public conversation so that lots of people can weigh in. I think that ends up leading to better regulation that's not tailored to, to any one particular entity. Um, and really tackling some of these, these big, difficult questions together, I think that would be what I'd like to do. We are doing some things on the regulatory side that will touch crypto. We have a rule out for investment advisor custody that has a component that's related to crypto. We have a regulation uh, around best execution that all, that is for broker dealers that also has, a, has a, a section on crypto. We have a proposal to redefine the def, uh, to redefine exchange, um, which really would have uh, consequences for crypto to the extent, again, that, that crypto assets are being treated as securities, that this all gets pulled in. And so those are opportunities for people to weigh in. Um, there, it's not the, the, the way I would prefer to deal with some of these things. I think we're also in a situation where Congress is pretty active. And so um, we have to somewhat step back and allow Congress to make the decisions. It's, it's obviously their call, whether we're the regulator, the CFTC is the regulator, 
the FTC or some other agency is the regulator, the banking regulator. So it's a little bit of a dance too and trying to figure out where can we be most uh, productive in these conversations? Where should we defer to Congress to, to make some of these calls before we get involved? Thank you. So I you know, look at the traditional financial system you know, where, where my background is, and I see you know, the SEC plays a big role there. Uh, and I see it particularly in disclosure, I think it is a phenomenal system of, oh, I want to look up some sort of report and they file it with the SEC. And you know, you have to sometimes do a little bit of work to find out, but the, the information is is there. And obviously a promise of crypto and digital assets is it's it's a lot of transparent. But you know, as as we know, sometimes there is not a lot of transparency as well. So what would your vision be for the uh, SEC's uh, posture towards crypto when it comes to sort of pe people have to you know, file things and it's it's transparent and you can sort of figure out that information? You know, I, I know you, you've spoken just about the importance of transparency, but there's the standard of, oh, people, you know, uh, companies, crypto assets protocols should uh, um, be transparent versus they should have to register and they should have to. So how do you sort of navigate right. that? Well, I mean, you're right that the SEC has a long history of being a disclosure regulator. We have systems in place that work quite well for giving people information about public companies, about mutual funds. Um, and so, so that is a powerful tool that we could use in the crypto space. But as you also point out, there's some amount of transparency that comes from being on the blockchain that is just new. It's different. And so how can you leverage that technology and then say, okay, there are places where the SEC disclosure regime is needed to fill that in. Do we want to have a system where if you're, if you're launching, uh, if you're doing an initial coin offering that you are providing certain information to the people who are buying that token? I, I put out a safe harbor a number of years ago with this idea of saying, okay, we can use some elements of our disclosure regime to get to the information that people really would want to know in this situation. At the time when that project starts out, it's not, there really is an information asymmetry problem. The people who are developing the project have information that maybe everyone else doesn't. And so how can we use our disclosure regime in that scenario? I think you could, but I think it's also really important to remember that we want to take advantage of what this technology can give us. If you truly are living in a decentralized world that where everything is on chain, then nobody does have an information advantage over anyone else. But sometimes people call things decentralized and they're not, or they call things, you know, they, they say, well, everything's on chain and it turns out a bunch of activity is happening off chain that would be really valuable for people to know. So we have to be honest with ourselves and then figure out what the best tool is for getting us to the place we want to be. Obviously, some of this stuff can be done by the industry without having the SEC get involved. I mean, you can set up some sort of a repository to have information about projects without having the SEC involved. So I think that people involved in, the, in, in working on projects should also be thinking about their own solutions. So much of this depends on, I think, two questions. One is which what is within the SEC's purview? Is it just securities or is it, is it other things? And the second is, what is a security? I know there's something called a Howey test, which uh, you, please please tell us what is what that is, as well as your interpretation of it. I know you've got an, an orange grove theory. And then based on your orange grove theory, are you saying that certain, uh, there are certain investment contracts that are securities within the digital asset world? It's just that 
uh, tokens are only one part of them, so by themselves, they are not securities. Well, so the definition of security in the United States is very broad. It includes things that you might you know, think of first, right? A stock or a bond, that's obviously in the category of, of security, but there are other things that fall within that category. And then there's this kind of catch-all, which is an investment contract. And the idea is, if I say to you, hey, Jack, give me some money, I'm going to build a, um, I'm going to build an enterprise and I'm going to give you a share of the profits in that enterprise. Um, that is, that's a securities transaction, right? You, I've said to you, just sit back. All you need is give me the money. I'll do all the work and then you'll benefit from that work. That's what, that's what an investment contract is trying to capture. That's what the Howey test is. The Howey test says, okay, has there been an investment of money? Um, is there, w with the expectation of profits based solely on the efforts of another person or another entity? And that's what you had in the Howey case. That was the defining case that came up with that test. People bought uh, parts of an orange grove, but with that, they got a contract with which someone else would do the work to maintain the orange grove and make it profitable. So that, that test has been applied in lots of different circumstances to lots of different fun fact patterns. Crypto has really brought that test into the, into the spotlight and it's been a little bit difficult to apply the test in the crypto area. And I think there's been a lot of imprecision in, in language when talking about applying the test. Uh, and, and so the Orange Grove, for example, did not itself become a security because it came with those promises. It was being sold in a securities transaction because it came with those promises, but those promises were integral to the consideration of it. So I think trying to apply that in the crypto space, you, you have to think about not looking at the asset itself alone, but the asset along with the promises that may come with it. And sometimes those promises are explicit, um, sometimes not. But I think that's where we need to be more precise as a regulator and where uh, people in the industry need to be just thinking about how different things they're doing might interact with this very broad definition of what a security is. Thanks. So and let's keep it in the, the abstract and not call it on a particular thing. But there's a, an initial coin offering or some protocol. Coins are distributed and sold. You're saying the coins themselves are not uh, a security. But w is there anything that is I mean, security? I mean, you could there, define, you could, you could create a token that itself was a security, right? If it was kicking off dividends, you could take a stock, a, mm -hmm. a standard share of a stock, and you could tokenize it. It would be a token and it would also be a security. So it depends, you know, again, as we always say, it's facts and circumstances. There are many instances where you have a token that just like a chinchilla, we've, we've had a case, a Howie case involving chinchillas, right? You can take a chinchilla and you can sell it in a way that it then is part of a securities offering. You can take a token and sell it as part of a securities offering. Uh, okay, so I think you, you referenced a, a dividend. Or, it's funny, I didn't know that about a chinchilla, but you, you referenced this. Well, there are all kinds of very whiskey casks. There are yeah. all kinds of cases that 
you know, are kind of fun fact patterns. Yeah. Uh, so when you referenced a dividend, is that a prerequisite for security? Because I believe no, in, okay, no, yeah. it's not. And again, facts and circumstances matter. I'm just giving you an example. You can't make a blanket statement that every token is a security or every token is not a security because you can design. That's one of the that's one of the interesting things about tokens, right? You can design features of the token. You can program things in to the token um, that I think make it quite powerful, but you could also program things in that could turn it into the token itself into a security. In other instances, you can have a non-security token that is sold as part of a securities offering because it comes with these promise, promises that are attached to it. Uh, are there any current uh, tokens or crypto offerings right now that you would define as a security? I'm not going to get into that. Okay. Yeah. Do you disagree with uh, Gensler's uh, view of, he, he named certain certain ones uh, uh, as securities. Do you disagree with that particularly? What I've said in the past when people have asked me questions about whether particular tokens fall within the bucket of securities is I take, I, I've tended to take quite a different approach um, to some of my colleagues around how to think about this. And I just think we need to be more legally precise. And again, that goes to thinking about how the Howey test applies to digital assets, how we've applied it in the past to physical assets and trying to marry those two up and make sure that those are consistent. And so that's where I think all of us need to just be a little bit more precise. And that requires you to look at the facts and circumstances of each situation. That said, I think you can end up in a place where people have enough guidance to understand how they can, whether an offering, whether when they sell tokens, that offering would be considered to be a securities offering or not. And then whether or not a token you know, itself is a security. I think we could do a better job on, on providing some guidance there. Mm. But it shouldn't come from me. It should come from the agency as a whole so that people can then rely on that and then they can go do their thing either within the confines of the securities laws or outside of it. And if they're going to be within the confines of the securities laws, we should think about are there any changes that we need to make to the registration system? Are there exemptions that we should create specifically for this set of offerings because maybe there's different kind of a different kind of information people need or does this set of offerings just work within the existing system which you know again that's a conversation we can have but I think we have to be willing to be a little bit more um, legally precise as we approach this problem. Thanks for explaining that. Earlier, you referenced a, a proposal from the SEC to expand or uh, change the definition of an exchange. Why is that significant? And it sounds like you uh, dis disagree with that. Why do, why do you disagree with that? Well, it's a proposal that's out for comment. So I'm you know, keeping an open mind to what commenters say. But some of when we put it out, so it, we actually put it out originally for a proposal without mentioning crypto, or maybe there was a bare mention, but Really, that wasn't the focus of the of the proposal. We got a lot of comments in saying, we think this could actually touch uh, crypto. And so then we put out a reproposal in which 
you made it very clear that it would indeed touch crypto and decentralized um, exchanges, uh, among others, um, among other parts and pieces of crypto. And so I think we, we've gotten a lot of feedback on that. Look, my concern is that the way I read that rule proposal, the reproposal, and I hope someone can tell me that, that my reading was, was not right, but the way I read it is it said, you either have to centralize, you have to get out of the United States, or you have to shut down. And that seems problematic. Again, I think there, there's, um, we need to be careful not to try to, to reach activity that is people using a protocol, right? It's a peer-to-protocol transaction or a peer-to-peer transaction. We need to be careful not to try to force an intermediary in there to make one up where, there, where none exists. Because I think that could have the effect of really making it difficult for people even to write computer code. Um, without running into potential legal problems. Quote, you said that uh, Chair Gensler was outspoken for his view that there is a lot of lawlessness in crypto. Do you agree with that and why or why not? Well, I think we can all sit down and think about crypto and identify some, at least things that labeled themselves as crypto that then really went to town and ripped people off. And at the SEC, one of the things that we do as a commission is we review these enforcement cases. And there are an unending number of cases in which people have put the sign above the door that said crypto, and then they've just run off with people's money. So there's a lot of that. And I think you see that anytime you have something that is trending popularly, people will use, bad people will use that as, as a way to steal other people's money. So certainly there's that piece of it. But I think there's a, another bigger piece of the crypto world where people are saying, look, we're, we want to experiment with this technology. We're not exactly sure where it's going to go, but we want a chance to try to see where it will take us and where it will go. And we want to do that within the confines of, of the law. We want, to, we want to comply with the law. But there's some areas where we have questions, where we don't understand how this will work. Like you can't tell a, a, a crypto startup that they have to comply with the same rules that would apply to a very mature company going public. That just doesn't make a lot of sense. Or we're trying to understand how do we custody in this space in a way that's consistent with, with the SEC's rules. Um, so, or we're trying to understand as a broker dealer or an investment advisor, how can we work with our clients who are interested in being in this space? That, I think, is a bigger group of people who want to just figure out how to do it and, frankly, don't want to spend all their time thinking about regulation, not because they want to do something that's contrary to regulation, but because they want to spend their time thinking about the technology and about what they're, what they're trying to build and what, what problem they're trying to solve, real-world problem. And so that's, I think, I would characterize it as people who are frustrated by the lack of answers from the regulatory uh, side of the world. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just the SEC. I think it's, it's, it's other regulators. And that's where we could be doing a better job to address some of the things that we're calling lawless 
it, it's because there's just this ambiguity out there. So we can actually solve that problem. We just need to step up and do it. Um, and we need to do it in a way that will allow us then to identify people who are who really are the bad actors. It will make it easier if we have some kind of framework in place, much easier to identify the bad actors. Um, we're really doing no one any favors by painting the very bad people who are stealing people's money with the same brush as, as people who are just confused about how the regulatory apparatus applies to, to what they're doing. Thanks. So we explored in some depth your views on, on what a security is, but what about the question of the SEC's uh, jurisdiction or you know, ability to, to regulate or enforce for things that are not security? So for example, let's say- It's not in our purview. So, so, so only securities is- Yeah, I mean, we have, we have a, a big set of, of laws that we implement, but our- remit is securities, securities transactions and securities. So things that are outside of it are not within our purview. Now, Congress could change, could change that and could say, we want you just to be the, to go back to your point about, you know, we've got this big disclosure system. They could say, we want you to expand your disclosure system so that you now are also responsible for disclosures around any token offering, regardless of whether it's a security securities offering or not. Congress could do that. But right now, our remit is limited to securities. Mm, th thank you for, for laying that out. So what what is your uh, vision? If, if you, so towards re regulation towards crypto, would it... Uh, not because not related by the F F uh, SEC, it would be in, in the regulatory authority of, of another body. Would there be a new body created? I mean, it's really Congress's decision. I think we have some experience and expertise that would enable us to be useful as a regulator of trading centralized trading platforms, for example, or as a regulator of disclosure around token offerings. So we have talents. We have talented staff who have spent a lot of time thinking about those kinds of issues in the in in the security space, and that could be extended out. But if Congress decides that someone else should do that, that's kind of Congress's choice. And they might decide to create a, a specific regulator to do that. They might decide to give pieces of it to us, pieces of it to the CFTC. They might decide to give it to the FTC. Um, it really or to the banking regulators or create some sort of self-regulatory structure that somehow reports up. There are all kinds of things. They could create a task force that pulled some people from the CFTC and the SEC and had both agencies kind of working in parallel. There are a lot of different options. I think some have been laid out in some of the bills that, that are floating around Congress now on both the House side and the Senate side. Um, but ultimately, it's their call. And I think that's where the, the decision-making should lie. Thanks. Uh, now, if we can uh, venture outside of the world of, of crypto, let's talk about uh, special purpose acquisition companies or SPACs, uh, vehicles that you know, in some way have a little bit more liberty than uh, going public than companies that, that IPO, um, so they can share projections about where they, they think some certain earnings are going, and they're giving a little, little bit more uh, leeway than, than, uh, than IPOs because uh, it's a, a, a reverse merger. Uh, it's the view of some that in you know, late 2020 and 2021, certain companies went, went public. 
Uh, and I mean, the, the investment results uh, for people who, who invested in them are, are, are not good. You know, it went to $10 and it went to $60. People bought it at $60 and it went to, you know, 66 cents or something like that. And so uh, some of the SEC are proposing new uh, rules and regulations for, for disclosure. So tell us about those rules and, and regulations that are being proposed as, as well as your view on them because you made a public statement, I believe. I did. And so there has been, um, there was a lot of activity, SPAC activity. And um, one question that that made me ask is, is there something wrong with our existing IPO system framework that we need to think about because if so many companies are choosing a different method to go public, we should at least be asking, is there is there something that needs to be adjusted on the IPO side? Um, the, the rule that we put out, I think was quite quite negative towards SPACs. It would it would create some burdens around that process and would put some liabilities on certain players involved in that process that I think has made, there are a lot of factors going into why the number of SPACs has fallen, but I think certainly regulatory uncertainty and concern, angst plays a role there as well. And it's not only with respect to that proposal, which is still out there and under consideration, but also with respect to some accounting guidance that has come out um, from the SEC or from the SEC staff. And so I think the combination of that has raised a lot of questions around um, whether SPACs will move forward. I think the point, you know, you raised the concern around performance. The SEC is not in the business of telling investors that some investment is going to succeed or fail. And when a company goes through a registration process, whether it's going to IPO in the traditional way or it's going through a process where it's it's a SPAT becoming public through a SPAC, we're not looking at the merits of that. We're just trying to make sure that companies are making disclosures so that an investor buying into that understands the risks that are involved in that and then is making an informed decision. But that's not our decision to make at the end of the day. Um, but I think an important message to any company deciding to go public, regardless of how it's going to go public. Being public is not easy. There are a lot of obligations that flow from being public. And so you have to be ready for those obligations. Some people liked the SPAC route because they thought it was a faster way to go public, but you still are, once you're public, you're going to have to meet all of those obligations that, that go with being a public company. And so it's something companies have to think about when they're making that choice. Thanks. Uh, now talking now talking about uh, money market reform. Some reforms were uh, proposed, and uh, I believe this was into how certain money markets performed during March 2020 when there's a you know global liquidity crisis on the, the financial system. Uh, what uh, what is your views on on these reforms? Do you think they would help uh, propose stability? And you know, for our audience, it, it is very technical. It is quite technical. The the rules have been finalized, um, and We'll see how they play out, but you know it won't surprise probably this audience to know that my general approach is there is a role for regulation to play, but we need to identify a problem and then figure out if a regulatory solution is the right solution. And if we're looking at regulatory solutions, can we can we think about regulatory solutions that will allow 
um, private decision makers who are closer to the facts and circumstances to make decisions? Can we give them optionality? And I think one of my concerns around the final money market fund rule was that we took away some of that optionality. And um, we, although we did it in a way that I think was, a lot of people had concerns around the proposal. The final rule was a little bit more temper, but we didn't really get comment on the design of, of one of the features of the final rule. And as a result, I'm concerned that maybe we, we missed out on some very key help that we could have gotten from the public in, in thinking about whether to really adopt that feature and if so, what the feature should look like. My view is the best way to have a, a, a very robust financial system that will survive when there are shocks, whether they're you know from COVID or something else that we can't even imagine now is to have heterogeneity so that you don't have everyone doing exactly the same thing at exactly the same time. Um, and so that's something I think that final money market fund rule didn't really help us build into the system, that heterogeneity. Um, so I like to have people trying different things. Um, and we'll see. I mean, I'm, I, I hope again that it will, um, my expectations, and my concerns won't, won't be realized, but, um, but we will have to see how that plays out. Thanks. This just popped in my head, but uh, with with the money market fund, you know, you're buying it for a dollar, and it's it's never going to go to a dollar and fifty cents or or five dollars. So, is there really an expectation of uh, profit? And by that, you know, logic, does it fail the Howey test? Is it not a security? Um, no, it, the money market funds fit fit. They're a they're a money market funds are investment companies, and when you buy a share of an investment company, you're buying a share of a pool, and they, they actually do fit very neatly within. Um, and you are earning a return. You're not earning, again, they're designed to stick at a dollar, but you are earning a return on the money that you put in there. Got it, so it doesn't have to be capital gains, it can be a dividend or something like that. Right, it doesn't, it. the share price doesn't have to appreciate in order for you to make a profit or earn a return. And does the parallel stand out to of a of a stable coin, which also promises a peg, but it's you know you know not regulated. So if they're they're it, you know if if as an algorithm uh, stable coin before it has broken, um, there aren't investment protections. But uh, does that parallel stand out to you, or what what is the difference? Well, there? so again, I think stable coins is another area where it's helpful that Congress is taking a look at it to try to think what a reasonable framework looks like. It's one where one could imagine that. Someone might decide, okay, the SEC would be an appropriate regulator because the SEC regulates money market funds. Someone could make a decision that the banking regulators should be the regulators, whether it's state, federal. Those are calls that Congress really needs to make. Um, if if stable coins were put within the SEC's remit, which I don't think any of the bills that are out there would do at the moment, but if they were, there, there's experience that we could bring to bear on that. But again, it's up to Congress to make that call. Well, Commissioner Purse, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me.